to Everyday Design, the podcast to empower and educate homeowners on how to best deliver your extension or renovation project to make sure the end result is perfect for your lifestyle, personality and taste. This week, we are talking architectural mouldings. But first, let me introduce myself. I'm Abigail Hall, technical design expert and consultant to the construction industry. For almost 15 years, I've been delivering very high-end and complex new builds and historic renovations with some pretty hefty budgets. I've also undertaken a fair number of my own renovation projects with much smaller and restricted budgets. I've become an expert in how you can use design to enhance your well-being and happiness in your own home. And I want to share with you my knowledge, my contacts and a few of the lessons I've learned along the way. Each week we talk to a different expert so we can learn the technical jargon, the easy mistakes to avoid, the need to's, the nice to's and how to get the finish you want on time and budget. And this week we are fortunate to be joined by ORAC expert and moulding aficionado Stephen Biggs who manages the UK arm of ORAC. For those of you who don't know, ORAC was set up in the 1970s with the aim of looking for alternatives to materials traditionally used in the furniture industry, so namely wood. And it was really quite advanced in the 1970s because they were already thinking about sustainability, looking for alternatives from those natural materials and also looking for uniformity of finish. Fast forward and it's still a family run business which sells decorative mouldings in over 90 countries and Stephen has been working in this game for 20 years and he's seen trends change but he knows the importance of quality when it comes to architectural features and the value this adds to properties. So Stephen, welcome to Everyday Design. Nice to be with you, Abigail. I was really excited when ORAC agreed to be part of this podcast. So you've got a very excited host with you. And I'm going to start with some real basic, educating myself as well as our listeners. Can you tell me the difference? Because we've got coving, wall freezes, calls, picture rails, dado rails, panels... Are these all just different names for mouldings? Yeah, I mean, that's exactly what they are. They all basically are mouldings that you can put on the wall. Um, We use a technical phrase over in Belgium, which is called wallscaping. Um, Oh, I like that. Wallscaping. You're indoors, you're wallscaping. All the decorative elements will come as forms of mouldings and your eye is naturally drawn to the ceiling. So when most people talk about... uh, uh, mouldings they're thinking of the ceiling and your eye you walk into a room your eyes drawn to the the top of the room where you see coving or wall freezes corbels etc and picture rails which you mentioned earlier yeah and, and that's actually true that we do we kind of look up don't we yeah we seem to ignore skirtings down on the floor level but they're just as important in our in our eyes but um but yeah when you first come in you you tend to look up poor skirtings they're like they're like the poor cousin of the uh, interior architectural molding world yeah. well we we don't we don't forget them here at everyday design but i am going to be honest i am going to be talking to you about um about wall moldings and covings a little bit more so perhaps i'm guilty of the same now tell me there seems to be a range of materials if i'm shopping around online from plaster through to resin what materials do these moldings come in and and how do i choose which is suitable for me and which is sustainable? Well, there is a, there is a wide variety of mouldings. Um, what I would suggest is that the majority of mouldings in the early days were made of plaster or fibrous plaster, GRC. Yeah. You get lots of different uh, names for them. But basically, the early days, 
going back to Victorian era particularly would be made from wood or plaster. Okay. Um, uh, the plaster mouldings that might even include a bit of a uh, hessian or sacking inside there um and obviously well, to kind of to kind of pack it out or to give it a bit of structure or something. Uh, yeah they need it to to make it all hold together exactly to give yeah. it some structure and these days mm. with uh, our materials which you know like you say we started 50 years ago uh we we actually produce materials with uh, man-made polymers which we extrude in the factory in Belgium. Uh, and we also uh, create pure touch products with polyurethane in our factory in Slovakia. So those sound, they sound pretty technical, but they sound to me effectively like they're, they're plasticized in some way. So they're more of the resin type. Um, yeah. Are those still, are those still um, products that can be painted as you would be able to with plaster? Uh, well, that's a, that's a really good uh, question. Uh, the, 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 the thing with our products is that when they arrive in a box, they will, will arrive on your door and they'll already be primed and in perfect condition to install. Uh, the difference being with a plaster product, it will just be plaster uh, and it will absorb a lot of paint. So you might have to put four or five coats on, whereas the Iraq, you probably just put one coat of paint on the top of our primer. Yeah, and you know, that is true because all of all of us who've worked um, or ever had a had a wall plastered or just done some dry lining, some uh, plasterboarding, skimming, whatever it is you're doing, you you find that unless it's sealed, it absolutely absorbs that paint, and it's not easy necessarily painting coving and mouldings, is it? You're often either up a ladder or having to put some scaffolding up, Too so right. it being primed. But what I am interested in knowing which is which is suitable and which is sustainable. It seems it seems like aesthetically there's no real difference between the plaster and those ones which are more of a polymer base. They basically look the same. Yeah, I think I think I think I've got to I've got to try and be a neutral here. I mean, I'm, I I you know appreciate that Orac are the uh, people I work for, but there are advantages in both, and they both can look lovely when they're installed. I I just like to think of the fact that if you have an older property and uh, some somebody's owned it before you moved in, they might have knocked out a chimney breast. They might, particularly if you go into hotels, you see that they they change a room by putting a, a wall through the middle. And you oh, yeah. lose the architectural detail. You can see it's a dead giveaway in the hotel. You've got a coving that suddenly stops. And yeah. in that case, there is nothing to stop you thinking, right, how am I going to fix that architectural um, absence by getting somebody to pop in, take a mould off what you've already got and give you an exact replica in plaster. Now, we can't do that because it might cost a quarter of a million pounds for a machine for us to produce our products. And then it will cost you a lot for the tooling to actually make it make the new design. So we're different there. If you've got a blank canvas, we've probably got something in the range which is going to give you the advantage of the fast installation, you know, half half decorated already with the primer coat. And I, I, I can't think of a good reason why you wouldn't choose us, but then I may be a bit biased. <laughs> Well, I, I like I like that you both tried to remain neutral there. But also admitted you might have a slight bias. I think if you didn't admit you had a bias, given who you work for, I think your employer might be slightly worried, to be yeah. honest. But, but no, I take your point exactly. If you're effectively doing a repair or a patch, I think that's where, yeah, absolutely. And you're, you're using uh, plaster that might be traditional to what was there originally. Perhaps it's a Victorian cornice or, or, or some moulding. But I... It's something that you actually you spoke to me about, which was the the impact of plaster on the yeah. environment. 
when you're actually out on the road like I am speaking to people in the construction and design trade you you pick up a lot and you know every week you learn something new and I, I was thinking back when we first uh, spoke last week of, uh, of a job which is Maudsley Court which is a retirement village um, up in Warwickshire yes. and the whole of the design procedure was done by a company called Space Invader Design which yes. I like the trendy name <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and I had to meet the um, person heading up the design in a small office, just just literally a, a short walk from St Paul's Cathedral. And I went in, did the initial presentation, very good. And then the second time when I went in, when I didn't realise she'd already decided that she was going to use ORAC, she put me on the spot about our sustainability. So mm -hmm. I, I, I don't think I'd been asked such taxing questions before. And, and I said, well, at the end of the day, the product is man-made. It does come from the oil industry. But do you know that a very large proportion of the products we make are 100% recyclable? So that, that was one thing she was impressed with. That's fantastic. Yeah. So uh, and then on top of that, even when we start up production in our factory in Belgium and gear it up, obviously the temperatures aren't right. And what happens is the first bit of the production run is, is useless. Well, all of that actually gets taken away ground up in a machine and the, all the gases and everything gets taken out of that so we actually can reuse that in the batch as the machine is comes up to the right temperature so we actually aim to be carbon neutral in 2023 the whole of our head office and main factory in belgium is has got a roof completely covered in solar panels and Brilliant. I haven't been since lockdown, but the whole of the field on the right hand side, as you come in to the factory, which is near a canal in Ostend, uh, will be completely covered in solar panels in the next few weeks. And we will produce 70 percent of our own electricity for production. That's the plus side of ORAC. I could bore you with the stuff about the fact we now get monthly reports from head office monitoring our company car use and our travel to make sure we do reach uh, carbon neutral by 2023. But what really struck me about the lady at Space Invader Design was she let me go through all of this squirming on a seat. And then at the end, she said, yeah, don't worry about it. Did you know that the fibrous plaster industry digs up an area, surface area the size of Oxford every year? We were never going to use them anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I thought and that is <laughs> but anyway we got the job and um she, she quite enjoyed that <laughs> but and that's absolutely and it's absolutely phenomenal when you told me that i had to you you wrote it in an email and i had to reread it a couple of times because i've used fiber and used that sorry i've used the plaster and i've used resin um in my moldings and my covings and i have never once not once and i'm ashamed to say thought about the impact that that's had on the environment and for me now we talked about an example where a plaster repair is a good and cost effective thing to do but actually aside from that i i genuinely would struggle now to be specifying plaster as a product for an internal decorative coving but based on based on that based on the sustainability argument so i really i thank you for saying that now it does feel like I've, I mean, I've clearly come down on one side in my thinking, but our listeners may still say, ultimately, it's a cost conversation for them. So tell me, which which is more cost effective generally on a linear meter for some mouldings or coving, for example? 
Well, I mean, that, again, that's another great question. And the um, answer isn't necessarily quite as straightforward as you think. Um, and, and you know, you're going to be able to delve a little bit more into what ORAC offer. If you really are the budget conscious person, maybe it would be wise before you jump in with both feet to think about how you drink your coffee. So if, if you're the sort of person that does like to drink a cup of coffee um, on a regular basis. You you might have different tastes to me, and I, I I would broadly put people into three categories of coffee drinking. They might be happy with Nescafe Gold Blend. Maybe I shouldn't even use another brand name, but I mean that's the You're, one. That it's, it's a, not the BB, we're not the BBC here. No, you can no. use brand names. Our, our listeners are savvy to it, don't you? Yeah. Really? So you dip your you dip your uh, you dip your teaspoon into the coffee jar and you put it in and add hot water. Hmm, that's cost effective. I think you'll find. Yes. Yeah. We we have an equivalent product to your instant coffee, which is our Durafoam, which can cost as little as two pounds a meter, and it is available in some of the DIY sheds. Although it doesn't actually have our branding on it, the product codes on mm. the back clearly or rack um, and you are not going to get a more cost effective product than that because it comes out of a machine in Belgium it's completely automated you'd think you were standing in a hospital when you saw it being produced but it comes out really quickly quicker than any man working with plaster and molds and uh, yep. so on and sacking <laughs> um, and so basically that is a very cost effective way of doing it. Now, don't get me wrong, in some parts of Latin America, they would dream of using nothing else because the budgets are smaller. And yes. in some homes in the UK where you've got a, bland, a fairly bland room and you've just moved in, you want to make it a home, by all means do a bit of wallscaping, do a bit of decorating. And, you know, it just takes a little bit more time to install because if you press too hard with your hands and your thumbs when you're pushing it up, you'll leave a dent in it. But, you know, that's what you get for buying a, a, a less expensive product. Can plaster compete with it? Not really, because they're, every piece is made by hand, whereas ours are made in an automated fashion. So that's like the that's the first tier, if you like, and it's equivalent to your instant coffee. Then you've yeah. the next stage up where uh, you've got a product that can be put up and look just as smart as, shall I say, your your own place there, um, Abigail, with a, a nice decorative detail. But it comes as again as an extruded product, but it's come out comes out of the extruder a lot more slowly. And that's our that's your uh, Duro polymer range. Uh, so every piece that we make, pretty much in the range, is two meters long. So it can be put in the back of a hatchback or an estate car when you're picking it up from uh, your supplier. Uh, and it can be fitted by a DIYer. So if you don't cost your own time in, then obviously that is very, very um, inexpensive to fit. And you don't actually need to call in an expert. You don't need to pay somebody, let's say, 10 or 12 pounds a meter to fit your fibrous plaster that needs five years of training to to actually be to fit. installer in. Yeah. Yes. So. If you want to look at cost, then I would say we're now in the realms with this sort of middle middle product in our range. We're talking about High Street, Starbucks, Costa, your favourite coffee. When you go in there, you know what you like and, and you get an equivalent to that. So it's like a middle price point. Are we on a par with the yeah. plastering guys? If you push them and you can do it yourself, I have to be honest, the plastering uh, option was going to be very com 
competitive, if not a little bit less than our duopolymer. I'm being honest. Yes. But if you can't fit it yourself, and let's be honest, 95% of you won't be able to fit it yourself, then by the time you paid for somebody to come in and do it, then you're definitely on the loser. And then And let me and let me just and let me just jump in there because I know that we will have some listeners who are going to be doing a lot of work on their renovation themselves, mm-hmm. probably to, to save money. The mm-hmm. one thing I would say is the reason um, there are experts and people have the experience and have the training and, and get paid the money is because the difference between a quality finish and a bad finish, it affects the value of the house. And this is something that you're going to install once. It's not like a bit of paint mm-hmm. where you, if you get it wrong, you can paint over it. It's, it's worth doing it correctly. You get one opportunity to do it and do it correctly. So as much as you're saying that, yeah, that it's technically able to be installed by a DIYer, unless you really know what you're doing, it's not, I'd be, I'd be encouraging you to get someone in to do that. And you're just, just to be, just cover the sort of middle ground area there a bit as well. You will have some people that do feel confident in DIY, but they've never done coving before yes. and they're worried about the angles of the mitres for the corners and going around the chimney breasts or whatever then they needn't fear on that one because a competent carpenter who you've probably got on site anyway doing up something in your home as you're doing a renovation he will be able to do it for you it's just like working with wood it's so easy to cut um if they're polyurethane the pure touch range you can even plane it and use you know electric tools on it just like you would a piece of wood but with Brilliant. The, That's good to know. Yeah. And what's our what's our top? I'm 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 interested to know in our coffee analogy what the fancy fancy coffee is. Oh well, I was, I, uh, well, yeah, I, I thought I thought Starbucks was. <laughs> I thought you were going to tell me it was an espresso home machine. I'm I'm no. I'm loving this. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you, some people are probably very happy with these little Nespresso machines, but I've got, we're, we're, I, I yeah, <laughs> I'm, we're going to open a, a, a new showroom in Clerkenwell, and I've got a favourite coffee shop up there, Artisan Coffee Shop, they also sell a bit of wine, but I prefer coffee, and everyone is lovingly, every cup is lovingly presented on an old tobacco um, um, cigar case, and it's brought oh, over homemade chocolates and this is if you like the top the creme de la creme if you know what I mean that yeah, yeah. the artisan uh, atelier of cafe you've got coffee. it you've got yeah. it and then if you want to if you want to uh, have the best and you know let's be honest a lot of people want to have the best um, if I look at our sales figures 70% of our sales are this most expensive product group which is counterintuitive in a way but there you are that's that's what we're like in britain um we we like a bit of quality uh, yes we do well yeah. our, our buildings our buildings are expensive and um having had covid we're probably all going to be spending a lot more time in them so you know why not lavish them with the attention they deserve i say well yes we we're, our order rates at the moment have just gone through the roof uh, some businesses are down hours have gone bananas but going back to the analogy so we've got the uh, artisan uh, uh, coffee shop and we're we're talking quality here and with with that the analogy moves over to the uh, top of our range which is the pura touch which is uh, every piece is 2 meters long it's made in a mold so just to get you to understand this uh, a mold in in a normal uh, plaster coving is like an open mold and they lay the hessian in and they put the plaster in and all the rest of it with ours it's like making a 
an engineered cake shall i put it that way so the, oh, i like that yeah <laughs> there is a two meter long um mold which is normally made from aluminium some of the molds steel depending upon which the the shape and the pattern is and what you've got there is you've got something which which basically can be operated by individuals out in our factory in Slovakia and it has a robot comes over and it meters out exactly the right amount of material for every mold so there might be six molds in a row but the robot can read how much material the polyurethane to put into each each individual mold so there's virtually no waste whatsoever uh, and it goes into a mold that has already had a releasing agent in it and ironically the the first bit of the product which goes into the mold if you can think of the baking analogy is uh, maybe maybe a better one for this in the old days you used to put uh, margarine in and then you could get your cake out of the tin uh, with us we put in the releasing agent then we put in the primer so you don't have to uh, which we talked about yeah. earlier yeah. yes and then the, then the actual product itself that gives it the strength it, uh, and gives it the structure goes in that's the polyurethane and then that's that's might depending on the size of the mold that will be made for that will be cooked for six nine minutes or whatever yeah and the perfect piece will come out each time perfect. so I, and, I, I have a lot of that and the reason that's so important you mentioned there about that primer is anyone who's currently um in a a, a Victorian property, if you look, if you're in a position to, you look up at your coving, if it's original, chances are it's had maybe five, six, seven layers of paint on it. And you, you've you probably lost some of that detail. You know, the leaves might be slightly blurring together because every layer of paint kind of softens the edges slightly, doesn't it? So if you've got the primer already effectively built into the coving you you've got that accuracy you've got that precision which is which is what you want when you're installing something new you want that that finish so that's great to know that's actually i i didn't expect to get so enthusiastic about a technical answer but no, well. <laughs> i really appreciated that and we can well, have coffee and cake so yeah. you had me happy with both you can see where my heart lies <laughs> yeah oh yeah although i think yeah. we, you and i are gonna meet and go to that clark and well coffee and wine place you can have the coffee i'll have the wine no that sounds good that sounds we'll good do a deal. <laughs> but your your little um little description there reminded me of a of a hotel we did there's a there's a hotel owner we we know who has several uh properties and he, he had one in luton of of all places which needed renovation and he had some beautiful details but they were all lost because they'd been redecorated so many times yes so basically we were called in and we were the ones that supplied all these moldings there um and the, the other thing which i didn't say earlier on which maybe i should have said for all of these products they they come with one added benefit is you're not dealing with an underneath the arches artisan producer of uh, plaster moldings who might actually suddenly get a surge of demand and keep you waiting four or six weeks for the product with us we have it on the shelf the distribution comes out of uh, of the, the warehouse in in Ostend, and we deliver to site on a two to three day, two to three day lead time. Um, and my and that is, and that is important because, and I'm afraid we're all guilty for this. Be it industry professional, or be it you're just doing your own home and renovating it. Some of these details are the things that you think about later. Um, you've you've got, spent so much time thinking. I must order the kitchen in time. I must order the windows because they've got a really long lead time. And sometimes we forget 
something like a decorative molding if if you are waiting six weeks for it you you can't do anything else the the curtains can't go up there's no point necessarily doing uh, installing a tv for example if you're going to then be doing some plastering and decoration work afterwards so it's really good to know that you're available on a on a short lead time if you're doing a project and you're paying men to do the work for you in terms of running a substantial project like a hotel or a you know, there was an eight million pound house. I don't know if I sent you the link to the video, but but, but at the end of the day, every day they've got men on site who can't work. It's it's costing them a lot of money. Uh, Agreed. Uh, oh, yeah, absolutely. So, um, now I want to. I know that we've we've talked quite a lot about Victorian properties, which makes sense because we've all got strong imagery in our, our mind about that. But in a twentieth century house where the ceilings aren't that high. How do I use mouldings, but but make sure it doesn't overwhelm the space? I think I think well, you basically come and speak to us at ORAC because we are the innovators. We're the one who sets the trend. So I know exhibitions are, are sort of out of fashion this year, but every year we've been at Decorex and we we we've showcased the modern and contemporary designs that we have. So I again, it's totally counterintuitive. The best selling. One not the very best selling, but one of the one of the best sellers in our range of over four hundred products is our MyLine range. It's the name that was used when we launched some very slim profiles with a shadow gap at the back. So the the biggest of these only sits thirty five millimeters off the ceiling. So can you imagine it's not crowding in on your head if you've got a low ceiling yeah. in an apartment? And, and and the designs might range from just being uh, say sixty mil wide right through to two hundred and fifteen mil. So yes. eight inches in old money if you want to to look at it that way. Uh, and these just sit on the ceiling, but they actually make a beautiful detail if you want that contemporary style. And do you know what my friends in the plastering trade tell me? Some of them are honest enough; they buy from us as well as make their own is they can't get the detail that we do in it because the mould falls apart on the front leading edge. So we, we do set the trends. And then if you've got a little bit more space, let's say you were, you know, let's say a little bit taller, you might want to go for a steps cornice, which is if for the people who can't understand what a steps cornice is, think sort of almost like a Hercule Poirot or, or the Art Deco period. There's the, that, that sort of lots of parallel lines. It can look lovely, uh, particularly... Uh, when you when you put it all the way around the room and maybe put an, uh, an indirect lighting trough underneath as well. So we've got the answers to those things. Uh, if you've got the bigger budget, we can actually do whole walls with not um, panel moulds in the traditional sense where you would normally put uh, like a, a wall panel that looks like a sort of a door panel that you'd see in a hotel perhaps. But yeah. we, we, we've got some very um, batten-shaped mouldings, if you like. And I've, some of the funkiest designs are all put across the room in diagonals and random disorder, what, what it would appear to be. And the pieces in between are decorated in sort of little green or faro and ball paints. I'm not, I'm not sure I'm describing And I've, and I've got to say... <laughs> What I was about to say, I actually think you're describing it very well, Stephen. But um, if you want to have a have a an idea, and I've got to say, I I use your site uh, for inspiration because an architect friend of mine said, "Oh yeah, Abby, no mouldings. No, it's only good for period properties." And I was like, I completely disagree. I feel like all the moulding images I'm seeing right now are incredibly clean and contemporary and are adding. And I realised 
over and over again, I was finding the ORAC images just in different places, be it on Instagram or someone had posted it on Pinterest. So when I was looking at your guys' website, I was like, yes, that's what I was talking about. So you, you explained it really well, but my recommendation is have a look at your Instagram account or have a look at your website because it, it picture paints a thousand words. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. E easy for someone else to say, apparently not for me. Um, <laughs> and actually, you mentioned there, actually, you mentioned about the, the, the trough lighting for the LED. I really love your range, which is designed to be able to take an LED strip. But tell me about Tell me about the practicalities of that. How does that get installed and it needs some source of a fuse spur perhaps or a 13 amp socket? Well, I have to be careful what I say here, Abigail, because at the end of the day, you're now possibly moving away. If you're building a project, you're going to have a Sparky on site. Oh, 100%. So, yeah. So the first thing I should say is I know lots of people do their own homes and put in direct lighting uh in and yes they will need to have some um different electric componentry to do the job but when if you are not a qualified electrician if you were to sell your home and you put in your own indirect lighting troughs whether they be plaster or orac then you might be asked for the certification to prove that the job has been done professionally so can i almost duck the question but i will answer it more fully my first thing would be say, please get a NIEC uh, approved installer to come in. Who knows what they're doing? Because you might end up regretting doing it the wrong way. And but this is and this is why and this is why I love you because here at Everyday Design we're exactly the same. All we talk about is adhering to all building regulations. Um, you were just talking there about the Part P certification that you get um, after you've put made any amendments to your electrical installation in your own home. Um, and you reference there the NIC, EIC, the yeah. uh, the the body that uh, that really is is a standard, an industry standard there for the insulation but i'm interested in you describing the the molding itself because right. i find it so interesting that you're able to have something that is dual function when the light is off it's architecturally decorative and beautiful to look at but then it has that added that little secret function yeah absolutely well maybe i'll just wind the clock back a bit to when i first started in getting involved with the orac products uh, 20 years ago the lighting industry has changed enormously in the last 20 years i think you'd agree with me we've, oh, we've yes. moved away from uh the uh, lamps which go pop every 10 minutes and led has come in but if you go back to indirect lighting when i first started selling orac it was mainly in golf clubs hotel lobbies and it was done with the t5 tubes and anybody that's kept uh, tropical fish will, will remember the long glass tubes i used to have them in kitchens as well um and you, they used to be long tubes quite bulky probably about two inches across and about i don't know whether they were a meter and a half long uh, and they used to be used to bring lighting into a room you know, a, a nice even spread of lighting but the, the thing was yeah. because of the size of them that meant the indirect lighting troughs had to be big enough to accept them and they also had to be low enough down the wall so that when you put the tube in and if it did go wrong you could get that tube out which meant there was normally a gap to the ceiling of about eight inches or 200 millimeters so our early designs were the c900 and the c901 which everybody listening to this is going to say whatever is he talking about it was just a big cup shape 
Shall I put it that way? Yes. With a little. And you know, I can, I can even, I can even picture that. I'm sure that I've been into a kind of hotel lobby or a golf club in the '90s and can picture exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. And so back in those days, the really smart people who knew what they were doing with light would put two tracks of T5 tubes inside so that there wasn't a dead bit of light at the end of every tube. Um, yeah. Then LED came along. And this is where it starts to get fun, because when LED comes along, we're no longer bound by having to have high ceilings. Uh, and you can actually make smaller moldings. So we see a, a trend going over away from those large cup shapes to small shapes. As let, as the best sellers are 50 mil by 50 mil or two inches by two inches. Uh, but this is another area where I'm going to slightly stray off track. I hope you don't mind me doing that, Abigail. But why would you choose an ORAC one? Well, firstly, it's because we have the biggest range and we are the industry leaders by a country mile. But also, when you think back to the plaster coving that we were speaking about earlier on, how does it get installed? It gets installed with a man coming along with a team of people normally, and he has to nail every piece in place, but he also has to uh, connect it to the ceiling and to the wall. When you've got an indirect lighting trough, or as one of my architect uh, customers always calls it, halo lighting, I like that. I like that. Yeah. yeah that, um, that's what it said on the tin. Yes, you've got, effectively, you've got a point of contact for the moulding on the wall, but you've got no way of contacting it to hold it up from the ceiling. So with a lightweight polyurethane or a duropolymer material, you basically fix it with adhesive. So all of our products are fitted with adhesives. You don't need any nails. You squeeze yep. it back to the wall and you let go. Done. <laughs> Love it. And inside that trough, is an engineered completely flat surface two meters long so when you put your very skinny beautiful um led tape in there which might even sing out a number of different colors if you've got one of the ones you buy in the diy sheds with a handset to control all the different colors when you turn the light on the spread of light is utterly even around the room let me tell you what fantastic the, hence yeah. hence your friend calling it a halo exactly indeed so, so let me tell you what that would be like if it was a plaster coving trough it would be heavy and it would only be fitted on the bottom edge so they got to somehow or other overcome the problem they can't fix it on the top edge because obviously there was a fixing on the top edge no light would get out exactly yeah. you, you'd block in the light yeah you wouldn't get up. yeah but what they do to get around that is they'll put metal brackets in They'll put lumps of wood in. So you arrive on site with your beautiful looking coving. And let's get no, you know, it will look good. But the moment you put your LED tape in, which is about as a millimetre thick, and you roll it along the two metre or three, four, five metre length of wall that you've got the uh, trough in, it goes up and down like the Loch Ness Monster. And the yep. lighting display on the ceiling just looks absolutely awful so and, in, and that is yeah and that was one point i was going to make your product uniform which we've talked about the process of manufacturing yeah. it which i'm glad we went into that technical detail because all our listeners will have assurance of that but please 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 if you are going to uplight your wall please make sure your wall is absolutely smooth as well because light is the least forgiving thing isn't it absolutely it, <laughs> highlight yeah. every lump and bump I had a lady from Cheshire on the phone earlier this week who was tearing her hair out because the contractor hadn't done a very good ceiling. So you're, you're, you're leading me down to something else. 
some of the nicest jobs we've done also on the ceiling above the uplighter trough will have our 3d element so we have some rhombus and trapezium shapes and basically if you've got an awful ceiling we, we discovered this by accident with one of our installers uh, he, he put the uplighter trough in he had a not very well done ceiling shall i put it politely that's um, like we're saying it I'm not calling the bloke back to do it all over again. Uh, so he asked our installer, Carl, can you can you sort something out? So he put our mouldings on the ceiling. Actually, you, I'm sure you've heard this hundreds of times. You, in, in building, if it, if uh, if something looks as though it's a problem, you make a feature out of it, and you just wait <laughs> way out. Of it, you know, um, hide it hide it in plain sight. Yes, yes. But if if you want to look at the, the, the original question, I will touch on it briefly because I, I, I don't want to duck it. What surprises me, and, and I, I get to take all sorts of technical calls during the course of a typical week, is that sometimes you just can't beat some of the DIY sheds. They'll do an offer with LED lighting where you can buy five metres of tape, colour sensitive uh, controller, and the driver, because every LED tape needs a driver to actually control the power that goes in, uh, with a three-pin plug on the end, you plug it into the wall, lob, it, lob the LED into your lighting trough, £20. I mean, it's ridiculously good value, but most of us won't want to see a wire trailing down to a, a socket in the wall. So normally you would need the electrician to come along. If you want an even spread of light, you'll need uh, LED tape that works off a 24 volt system and not a 12 volt system and then you'll get an even spread of light for 10 meters along and then if you need more than that obviously you have to double it up but again call in your electrician and get him to give you help on that but as a general rule if you're going to do up a teenager's bedroom by all means do the 20 pound route um, and a little uh, 12 volt system but most of us probably want something a little bit to a higher standard so the other thing which so many people don't realize is that even though the LED is a modern lighting system, it does give off a lot of heat. So to get long life out of your LED and also to, um, to basically give you an even more even spread of light, if you like, you can actually insert it into an aluminium channel. The aluminium helps disperse the heat. But also if you've got it in that channel and let's say your uplighter is underneath uh, an atrium or what some people call a lantern, you can snap into the top a little opal diffuser. Instead of seeing all the dots of light on the glass above, you've got a beautiful effect and you're not looking at glaring spots of light um, up, up, up in your atrium. Um, not everybody's going to have an atrium, that, but there you are. But that's, and that's absolutely brilliant. And I'm going to do a shout out now to Orlight, who are a really good um, supplier who will be able to supply exactly what you've just articulated there, that aluminium channel, the uh, frosted or opal cover to the yeah. LED. Um, with anything to do with build and construction, go to the best that there is. So for you guys, I'd be coming to you for the mouldings, for the covings, the LED go to those specialists. And absolutely. it's just about getting, and if there's any doubt, as you said, speak to the electrician and speak to you guys, because you'll be able to say what you can do and what someone else should be able to do. This is not your first rodeo. You've seen it all and done it all before. Yeah. And then the other thing is the intensity of the light or the warmth of the light. Um, we're doing uh, various jobs for dentists during lockdown where they actually have to uh, do a bit of they got time, time out to reconfigure for post lockdown uh, and, and they want to redo their, their practices. So 
you wouldn't normally choose a warm light setting where you actually need a bright light so you can see what you're doing. So get your, the best suppliers will actually have a showroom and be able to show you all that sort of stuff, Abigail. Exactly. So now I want to go on, I, I'm switching back to period now yep. because I'm interested, in, I'm interested to think about if I'm living in a Victorian property with high ceilings, but where someone in their infinite wisdom has ripped out all of the original features, Mm -hmm. How do I start to work out what kind of style I should be installing if I'm trying to, you know, be in keeping with the architecture of the building? But I, I, I just would give a little bit of word of caution here. So very often the scale of things that you might see on Pinterest or in some of these magazines, it might be celeb celebrities house. And he, yes. might, he might even have a golf course in his garden. If, if you're living in a four-bed detached house uh, somewhere in Hampshire, say, um, and you've got 2.44 metre high ceilings. Yes. Uh, and your room size is a five by four metres, then you're probably not always going to be able to replicate those styles. So it, it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say something which is blatantly obvious to me and you, I guess. But don't forget, there are interior designers out there who will help you get the right uh, dimensions things you want things to be proportional so uh, in effect when you're paneling uh, rooms we do a series of different uh, paneling details or we would do a series of different um, steps cornice we mentioned that earlier on so yep. when we introduced the steps cornice there were smaller sizes now there are six sizes so you can mm. get the right style but it is scaled down accordingly no i was going to say that is absolute it, as you say it's common sense but sometimes we get so overwhelmed by something that we've probably never chosen or never installed before that you just you're looking at a 700 page catalogue and don't know where to start. So it, and it, but it sounds like as well, you guys have a lot of knowledge. So, oh, yes, certainly. Even even a phone call to you and just that I've selected this. My ceiling height is this. My room size is about this. I want it to look in keeping as if you know so it was chosen by the professional is that right and you guys will probably say that's it's a little big but if you're going for the dramatic that's going to work or that's really quite small it'll be very subtle yeah. you know yeah. you, you've got everything there and the other thing that I'd say is just in the if you're never quite sure what the right style is and I agree with you completely magazines Pinterest online if you are um, in a in a period property where there's other period properties on the same road, or perhaps you're in a flat and the building's been split up, now is a good opportunity to get to know your neighbours and ask any of the details, because often the same properties were built by the same builders and they would have the same interior details in it. So if you want to find out that authentic, what was the coving? Was it a dental? Was it, you know, uh, egg and dart? Is you that? Yes, yes. There you not... go, see, just yeah. throwing the names of different <laughs> kinds of coving at you. Yeah, I think I think the the other thing which you mentioned there with the sort of the older Victorian style properties is that you know what a lot of people aren't aren't aware of is that most of those early designs they were inspired by the Greeks. So, for example, the the beautiful thing about the early cornice designs they were all inspired by the the the, the human profile. So, if you look at cornice. An early Greek cornice would have been inspired by the neck and the chin going up to the lip. So if you look at a cornice side on, 
that is what inspired those shapes. When you look at panel mouldings to go in your Victoriana style property, they were called sockle designs, which means ankle. So we, yeah. Yeah, I've, and anyone who's who's not running their finger along their chin and up to their lip and going, yeah. oh yeah, that's exactly the shape of it. Yeah, yeah, things are. I suppose yeah. things have moved on a little bit then, but that's that's what the Greeks were all about proportions, and I think that's what I was saying when I first started answering this question. You've got to get to if you want it to look good, you want to you want to get everything in proportion. So typically, for example, we have some very popular panel molds, P8020, P8030, and we also do the extruded versions as well, PX103, PX120. Now, those numbers, again, and codes don't mean anything to anybody, but if somebody's just sitting on the other end of the uh, of the phone and rings us up and say, we've got a room that's four metres by three and a half and we want to put panelling in it, then I'm probably going to take you straight to the P8030 because it's the same shape, but it's just a smaller reference to the P8020. And if you've got a very narrow hallway where you've got kids coming in from school every day, if, they, if they're back at school, thankfully, um, yes. then, then you might choose the PX codes I've just mentioned because they're really very durable if somebody's you know, rushing down a hallway and bashing things about with satchels over their back or whatever. Now, take away from all of this, I'm, I'm going to admit all of those those references are brilliant that you said them out loud. I've immediately forgotten them. But the take my takeaway is clearly someone has spent a hell of a lot of time thinking about this and getting it exactly right. So actually, as an end user, I know that I can come to you and you guys have thought about it. Yeah, and there's one last, probably thought about. There's one last thing that I would say when you if you are going to get involved in doing the paneling and dado rails and everything else. And you are going to be redecorating a room or making a new one and doing a new build project. Please try to make sure you get the proportions right with where the light fittings go and where the power sockets go. So often I've been on the site, the designers designed it all. The Sparky's come along and put the sockets where he wanted to put them. And the whole proportion of the thing gets completely ruined. So just be careful on that one as well. Stephen, that's brilliant. So where can I find more information um, on you guys to help inform my choice and where can I buy it from? Well, I think the first thing I would say is that our website is a, a fantastic resource. So I'll give that one out. It's uh, www.orac, which is spelled O-R-A-C, decor, D-E-C-O-R.com. So www.oracdecor.com. And unwittingly, if you just type coving into Google, I would be very surprised if most of the people that come at the top of the search rankings are not ORAC dealers. So you can have it ordered online and uh, on your doorstep in a couple of days' time if that's the sort of uh, quick decision-making you need to make. I love that. That's, a, that's what our listeners are like. They're quick decision-makers. Um, or alternatively, if you're buying some of these details through your contractor, through your builder, you can tell them, you can say, this is a system that I want or you can tell your architect or other design professional, actually, can you write this product into the specification? There's one other thing. Rather than if you have got people who are going to be making quick decisions, sometimes caution is a good one. We also have a free sample service. So if you if you want some samples that are just 110 mil long, just over four inches long, we can get samples sent out by first class post. And then you can actually offer them up in your room and make sure that they are the size and proportion that you need so get it right first time as they say
Thank you so much, Stephen from ORAC. For more information on today's show, any links we've mentioned or to find other episodes, go to our website, eddpodcast.com. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at eddpodcast. And please subscribe and rate this podcast as it helps other homeowners to learn how to design their happiness. Thank you for listening. I've been Abigail Hall and this has been Everyday Design. Everyday Design.